Welcome again to St. John. My name is Dion. And uh, it's been an incredible week this week with Vacation Bible School. One of the things Jeff didn't mention is that through the generosity of our kids, they inspired uh, someone else to be generous. And we got a van donated to our mission partners in Wyoming to be able to pick up kids to bring them to church. Just a van. It's like a nice van, too. Um, so just great things that are happening. I'm so excited to, to begin on this, uh, this weekend after VBS, a new series, Only Jesus. Now, um, as we get into this, I, I realize in studying people that no one... I know at least, wants to be and is excited about being on the wrong side of history. It's true, isn't it? None of us want to be on the wrong side of like big things in history, which is why I wonder if anyone sitting in this room today will admit to ever owning a Betamax player. Remember these things? Way back in the day, if you don't remember this, way back in the day when it was like VHS, you know, video, when this became new technology, there was another format called Betamax, and it was by Sony, and JVC introduces VH, VHS, and there were lots of people battling, and they're like, oh, Betamax is it. So anyone, anyone to fess up? Did you think Betamax was it? If so, you're on the wrong side of history. It was not it. Or what about this? Anyone buy a Gateway 2000 computer? Pretty little cow boxes. Uh, back in the day, again, mail-order computers, and this was kind of in the beginning of the, of the internet days even, um, they, they were going up against a, an upstart rival in Texas that was just a flash in the pan. You probably never heard of them, a company called Dell. Anyone heard of them? Yeah, Gateway was their competitor. Um, or what about this? Uh, did anyone ever expect that in the Battle of Bookstores, Borders and Barnes and & Noble, that Borders would have folded first? Never would have saw that coming. I would have staked everything on Borders. Or uh, Circuit City over Best Buy. Remember when they were making the charge on Best Buy and then they fell flat on their face? Or um, how, how many of you back in the 90s use Yahoo? Anyone? Anyone buy stock in Yahoo? I mean, it was like the Wall Street darling of the 90s. And then I remember some of us, there came this upstart new search engine company that had a weird name. It was never going to work out called Google. Anyone bet on that one wrong? Yahoo over Google. Or has anyone taken a flight on Pan Am recently? Just saying. They were the big giant airline for a while. Or do you remember these stores? <laughs> used to be one not too far from here. And remember, this is how you used to have to get your videos. And when another company started mailing out DVDs in these little red envelopes, people were just like, oh, sh- <laughs> that's never gonna work, Netflix. What? Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, uh, maybe some of you remember that um, there was a time, Amazon, it took them over six years to even post a profit. There was a time their stock was $10 a share. And a lot of us thought, man, that's never going to, who's going to buy stuff online? The shipping's expensive. You can't return it. It takes forever. Guess how much their stock is today? $1,000 a share. You could have had it for 10. Did you? you, So I want to be your friend and I want your advice. I want to know who your broker is. Uh, But maybe the reason we never thought people could buy online like that is because we are all dialing up with 56.6 modem speed, you know, on America. Does anyone still have an America online email address? This is your wake-up call. Change it. This is done. This is over. Now, at, at one time, all of those companies that are defunct or, you know, those places that were big rivalries, those were, those were legitimate. Those were serious. People struggled to know who to back, what to buy, who to invest in. And now that hindsight is twenty twenty, it's kind of hard for us to admit that, you know, we maybe bought a gateway or that we owned border stock instead of Barnes and Noble, or we passed up on a chance to buy Amazon when it was $10 a share. It's hard for us to admit those things, not just because we don't like to admit it when we're wrong, although that may be a problem for you. But I think none of us want to side with a loser. All of us want to be a part of a winner, which explains why polls can sometimes swing elections because people are going, oh, well, that guy's winning or that girl's winning. I want to vote for them. That explains also why there are probably about four times as many Cub fans today 
as there were in 2015, right? I mean, 2015, they were like, whatever. There were like 10 Cubs fans in the world, and now they're like millions or something because everyone's like, oh yeah, the Cubs, I believed in them all along. Yeah, right, you did it, right? The bandwagon fan phenomenon happens not just in sports, it happens in churches, it happens in business everywhere. And so all of this creates an interesting predicament for those of us who take our faith in Jesus seriously. And I know that's not everyone sitting here today, and we're just glad that you're here. Even if you're just investigating, you're checking this out, you're, you're searching, so glad that you're here. And I hope this message today helps you. But for those of us who, who are already committed, already invested, who take our faith in Jesus really seriously, this creates an interesting predicament for us because as you look around today, it sure looks like Jesus, like Christianity, is losing more and more each and every day. And some people are cheering and they're saying, you know, good, it's, to, you know, let's, let's let close-minded, bigoted, discriminatory, hate-filled Christians, like, yeah, let, let, let's get rid of those. And you know what? I would say, yeah, that's a good thing. Let's get rid of those Christians because those Christians, that's not what Jesus was about, right? And yet in the meantime, I mean, there are people like me and I've, I've given my life to this. And so have many of you in, in different ways, and we believe in this, and we think it's right and true, but day by day as you kind of look around at what's happening in the world, and your neighbors aren't going to church as much, and churches are getting smaller, and some churches are closing, and they're combining. Correct me if I'm wrong, can it feel sometimes like maybe we're betting on a loser? Or uh, maybe we're on the wrong side of history? See, I know that's kind of a strong statement, and and maybe you are reluctant to admit that you feel that way, but I bet if you take your faith seriously, there are moments that you do. And if that's you, or if you're someone who's even wondering if this whole thing is credible, I just want to let you know today that nothing could be further from the truth. See, um, what I want to help you understand today is I want to give you the bigger picture of how Jesus is really doing in the world today. And not only that, I want to remind you, because it's so easy to lose sight, so easy to forget, that Jesus is the most ridiculous, the most unlikely success story in all of history. Let, let me show it to you this way. Um, does anyone know what this country is here in red? Israel. Yeah, um, Israel is, is kind of, is that region right there? Uh, it's the region of Palestine, someone says. Yeah, so um, now in ancient Israel, it was a little bit bigger. So Israel at its biggest was just a little bit bigger than this. Um, but here's what I want you to see. So this whole map right here fits in this little square here, okay? So just kind of, just notice the scale of that. Now also, even though Israel was a little bit bigger in ancient times, um, I want you to notice what's around Israel. And this has been true for all of its history. You had great empires, places that you learned about in school, places like Egypt and their empire. And then you had Babylon and Persia and Assyria and Greece and the Roman Empire, Again, you've studied them, you know some of their history, and right in the middle of all these giant empires is little tiny Israel, who through most of their history was beat up, they were occupied for most of their history, they were even once exiled fully, you know, just like decimated, and in fact their nation was destroyed and shortly after um, the, the first century AD and didn't exist again until 1948, and so, 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 so just think about this for a second. That this little tiny nation that's surrounded by all these giants, people that we know about, that this little tiny nation, that, that we, people who are living all the way over here, and you know, Israel's like right there, little tiny nation, that, that we know anything about it two, three, four thousand years ago. That we know its history, we know names of kings, 
that are long dead, that no one in history books is even talking about. it's, It's crazy, isn't it, that a guy like me spent money in graduate school to learn their dead language. I mean, who does that? I ask myself that question all the time, actually. I'm like, what, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? And, and yet, wh- why, would, why, why would that happen? The only reason that would happen, the only reason that makes sense is because of what happened in this region 2,000 years ago, and that something was a person by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is an even smaller little blip on this map, let alone on this map, but out of Nazareth came this itinerant teacher, Jesus of Nazareth. He had at most a three-year ministry. He did some miracles, gathered a following, gained some notoriety, and then they killed him. He was crucified under Rome for a crime of treason. And then after his death, he became even more successful, even more famous. Now, this happens often to artists, and it's kind of one of these injustices of life, but, but it wasn't just that he died and then people remembered him and then got fond of him. The real reason he got more successful after his death than he ever did during his three years is because after his death, you know this, people said they saw him alive again. That for 40 days after his death, he came back to life and he appeared to different people over hundreds of, of, hundreds of people he appeared to. And then after 40 days, he went back up into heaven. Convenient, isn't it? And some of you are skeptical. Some of you got your Snopes detector on. You're like, yeah, that's convenient. I mean, so, so the guy supposedly comes back from the dead and he appears to a few hundred people over 40 days and he disappears. I mean, why not hang around till you're 80, right? Get an agent. Go on the speaking circuit. Write a best-selling book. I mean, you kind of did that last one, I guess. But you know what I mean? Like, why not set up a shrine and be like, hey, this is Jesus. You can come see him. And he can tell you all about how, what it was like to die and rise again. I mean, wh- why not hang around? Now, 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 that's a good question. And if some of you, that's part of the reason that you're, you're, you're skeptical, I don't blame you. And yet, here's the thing that you just can't explain away. Here's the thing that you just can't deny. That this, this, this itinerant preacher from this little dot on the map that we saw a minute ago, from this far off place, Israel, that we shouldn't even know anything about, that he started a movement that has become an unstoppable worldwide movement. See, people kept talking about him and they kept telling others about him. And, and then those who believed in him, they started doing signs and wonders and miracles in his name. Uh, and then there was the way that, that his followers treated each other. It was like no one else was treating each other during those times. The love and the generosity and the care they showed, not only to each other, but to people outside, even to their enemies. And so this, 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 man, this is just mind-blowing. This little tiny movement out of a nowhere place that we wouldn't even know about today, it kept growing and growing and growing And it grew so much after just a few weeks that it started to get under the skin of the big dogs in town, the religious establishment of the day. Now, you know how this works. If if, if you're like the big dog, if you're the big store, if you're the big business, if you're the big church, and and there's some upstart, like you don't even even pay them no mind, do you? You're just like, whatever. It's not until something starts happening there in the competition that you start to feel threatened, you start to take notice. Which is what begins to happen. This, this thing grows so quickly that after just a few weeks, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, the religious establishment, it, it's the big dogs, they start to notice this thing and they start to feel threatened by it. And it's in this moment of history where this movement is expanding and the religious establishment is feeling threatened by it, it's in this moment of history that, that a prediction is made, a prophecy 
It's made by an enemy of Jesus. Someone who didn't even like Jesus, probably had a hand in his death. He says some words. He makes a prediction and a prophecy which explains the impossibility of everything that we are a part of here today. And we're going to look at it in Acts chapter 5. So um, you can look there right now if you want to crack open a Bible in front of you if you're here in the room. Page 1096. The words will be here on the screen. But I just want to set this up for you before we dive in. So in Acts chapter 5, the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, they, they're going around telling people about Jesus. And the religious establishment doesn't like it because so many people are believing that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and they're putting their hope in him. And so the religious leaders, the big dogs, they round up these disciples, and one night they throw them in jail, late at night. Um, and then that night, an angel comes and lets the disciples out of jail. And, and so what happens is the religious leaders go to look for the disciples in the morning and they're not in jail. They can't find them. And, and you know, they're calling a code red and they're setting up roadblocks and checkpoints trying to see where these guys are and trying to head them off before they get too far out of Jerusalem because they're criminals on the run. And uh, someone comes in to them as they're, you know, looking in the jail and they go, hey, those guys, you know, those guys that you're like going to comb the whole countryside for, they're actually like 15 paces away over in the temple, still telling people about Jesus. And so they go over to the temple and they see the disciples. They're still there teaching people about Jesus and there are crowds of people gathered around and they are furious. And so they arrest the disciples again. They bring them in and they're like, don't you know who we are? Don't you know what you're messing with here? We killed your leader. Do you remember that? Just, just a few weeks ago, we killed him. We got rid of him. Do you remember that? Do you realize who you're messing with? Do you know what we can do with you? Are you guys that dumb? And the disciples, they say back to them, they, they just so respectfully, they say, we have to obey God rather than people. And we don't mean any disrespect, but we cannot help but speak about what we have witnessed. And to that, the religious leaders, the establishment, the big dogs, this is their response. When they heard this, you know what? We can't help but talk about what we've witnessed. When they heard this, they were furious. And immediately they wanted to put the disciples to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, now Gamaliel is kind of a rock star we're going to see. He actually is the Pharisee who trained another Pharisee by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who later on, who initially was an enemy of the church, who later on uh, was named Paul and became a leader in the church. Um, this is Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people. He stood up in the Sanhedrin. This is, this is where the big dogs go to hang out. This is their council. And he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while, the disciples. So while they're outside, they have a sidebar, and, and this is what he says. He addressed the Sanhedrin. He says, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. And all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. Now, I have no idea who Theudas is. History books don't remember him, but apparently all of these guys did. So Gamaliel says, hey, remember Theudas? And they're like, Theudas, oh yeah, didn't we get that guy killed off? Yep, Gamaliel says. And do you remember what happened after that? Oh yeah. I mean, does anyone here know the first church of Theudas? Have you ever been there? Probably doesn't exist, right? It just, it just fizzled out, it dispersed, it came to nothing. He goes on, he says... After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed. Wink, wink, right? How did he die? Uh, and all of his followers were scattered. Now, now, here's Judas the Galilean. Again, I have no idea who this guy was, but apparently they all do. And he says, oh yeah, Judas, yeah, we got that guy killed too. Does this feel like house of cards to anyone? 
They're like killing off everybody up in here. Anyone who's a threat, they just kill them off. And, uh, and, and so, so here's where he lands in all this. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. Why? Because we've already killed their leader. Right? With Judas the Galilean, it worked. With Judas, it worked. We already killed their leader. So in this present case, just leave them alone. Don't make a thing of it. Don't get into trouble with Rome. Don't start a riot. Don't get people mad. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. Right? I mean, just just let it go. It's going to be okay. And then he says this, and I think he almost doesn't know what he's saying in this moment. But if it's from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And see, these are the words, eerie, prophetic words, a prediction uttered by an enemy of Jesus who does not believe any of this is from God, by the way, who says, you know what, (laughs) just just don't worry, it's going to be fine. We killed their leader, it's going to fail, Oh, but but by chance if it's from God, we're not going to be able to stop it, but you know, just, just don't worry. Powerful words that I think are so logical, we can't, I mean, we can't disagree with those, Right? And so the uh, group is persuaded, it says. They called the apostles in, um, and you know, they couldn't just let them go. They had to have them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now the apostles left the Sanhedrin. These, these words get to me every time. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name sobering words. But day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So you see what happens? They never stop. Why? Well, Gamaliel told you why. Because if it's of God, it's unstoppable. Now, again, I just, I want you to think about this. Look at this again. The fact that, again, people here know anything about what happened 2,000 years ago all the way over, over here, I should say, over here uh, in the middle of this map in this tiny little nation, the fact that we should know anything about that, let alone the fact that people living 2,000 years later, far, far away, the, the fact that we are sitting here today worshiping not the mighty god Ra, the sun god of Egypt, not Zeus or any part of the Greek pantheon, like who's worshiping those things today? No one, right? The fact that people 2,000 years later are sitting here today worshiping the god of Israel. Not because we like to worship ancient gods, but because that, that ancient God revealed himself in flesh in the person of his son, Jesus. And when Jesus walked the planet, even though he had a three-year ministry in a nowhere place and barely gained any notoriety, he started a movement that no one has been able to stop. See, that's why you sit here today, even giving audience to any of this. Because Jesus began something 2,000 years ago that has been unstoppable. Not that people haven't tried to stop it. I mean, you saw there in Acts 5 that before they let these apostles go, they flogged them. You know what a flogging is? If you've seen Passion of the Christ or if you've been to like a passion experience, you know when they're beating the heck out of Jesus with whips before they then crucify him? That's a flogging. 39 lashes. They laid these guys open. And then they leave rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer. Well, they got worse on them. They, they eventually confiscated property. Some of them were stoned to death. Some of them were beheaded. Those were the merciful deaths. See, later on under Roman emperors, they just got all kinds of cruel. They invented new ways of, to be cruel. Uh, they, they started burning Christians alive. They crucified them. 
Then they got really crazy. They packed arenas full of people and they put Christians out in the middle of the arena and then turned wild beasts on them so the spectators could watch these Christians be torn limb by limb by wild animals. See, it's not that no one has tried to stop this thing. No one one gave it a pass. In fact, the, the early followers of Jesus were intensely persecuted and yet the movement grew. Throughout the Middle Ages, and, and as different religious factions got into war, and there was wars with the Turks, and even today, like in Egypt, you've got Coptic Christians who are being attacked by radical Islam, and, and, uh, and they're being killed in worship environments, and yet the gospel continues to go on there. And, and then you just think about for a minute of all of the internal sabotage. It's not just been outward things that have come against us, but think about all the things internally that we have done to try to destroy this movement ourselves. There are all the power plays. I mean, think about the Middle Ages when when the church became this bloodthirsty, power-hungry institution like anything else and all the things they did like the Inquisitions and the Crusades and just all kinds of atrocities and they tried to sell forgiveness to people and told people if they wanted to go to heaven, they they had to give a financial gift and I mean, just all kinds of crazy stuff that we did to ourselves. And yet in every generation that... The movement of Jesus emerges and shakes that stuff off and, and, it, and it keeps going. And even today, sometimes I think we are our own worst enemies. Because we're all you know, whining and complaining about how we lost power and cultural influence and then we're watching things shrink and we're arguing with each other about who's pure and who's faithful. And man, we're good at the internal sabotage thing, aren't we? If you've been part of a church for very long, I mean, you see that churches are places where it's like we are, we are geniuses in knowing how to internally sabotage the work of God in our midst. It's just what we do. And, and so all of this pressure from the outside, persecution, internal sabotage from the inside, through all of it, Gamaliel's promise, his prediction was fulfilled, but not in the way that he expected. This movement has been Unstoppable. So what? I mean, why talk about this? Why do you need to know this? I think there there are two reasons that you really need to know this. You need to reclaim the bigger picture of what's going on here, how Jesus is really doing in the world. For starters, because I think you need to know that, that you are on the right side of history, that we are on the right side of history. Now, that doesn't mean that we've always been on the right side of history. And there are moments where, as I said, crusades and inquisitions and some of the things that the church has done, we have, we have been a part of horrible atrocities. And even though you personally weren't a part of those things, we need to own that and we need to repent of that and we need to make amends for that whenever possible. And yet, the truth is that in spite of all of the blemishes on the Christian record over over the ages, I want you to think for a second about the schools and the hospitals that exist only because people who loved Jesus and loved what he stood for also loved people who were uneducated and sick, and so they gave them the gift of education because they believed that was a godly thing. They gave them the gift of, of health, wellness, medicine, and even a death with dignity, They did that. I want you to think about how the status of women has changed in every country where the gospel is preached. I know that we still talk about equality in our country, and we should. It's an important issue. It's an issue close to the heart of God. But just have some perspective sometimes, too. And think about what women are facing in other parts of the world where they are nothing better than property, where you're you're better off if you're you're an oxen or a cattle or a sheep or a goat than a woman. 
You're treated more fairly. You're treated with more dignity and respect than when you're a woman. I mean, it's, 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 it's sickening. And yet, wherever the gospel has been preached, wherever Jesus' followers have come, they have, they have given dignity to women. And said, no, 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 these, these aren't property. These are daughters of God. I want you to think about all the people that have been rescued from slavery in the name of Jesus. I want you to think about all of the people who have been, as I said before, given medicine, people who have been given dignity and death, the mercy that's been shown to people who no one else seemed to care about, the starving children that have been fed, all in the name of Jesus. See, even though we've made our mistakes, the movement of Jesus has continued and, and he has done more good in the world through broken people like us who get it wrong sometimes and internal, internally sabotage ourselves than we can even see. And we try to attribute it to human progress. No, this is just humanity getting better. We're learning, we're growing. That's not true because there are other places in the world that have been here just as long as we have that do not have the gospel and they aren't far along on these things, as far along on these things as we are, are they? Because it's not just about human progress, it is about the movement of Jesus that is unstoppable. Now, I know here in the United States, again, we get all worked up because we're looking around and, and we're seeing our churches, they're getting emptier and they're closing, our neighbors don't go to church and, and we're getting all worked up about that and they're taking down monuments of the Ten Commandments and, and we're getting all worked up about that stuff. And again, for those of us who take our faith seriously, that's kind of weird for us. We're saying, shouldn't this thing be growing rather than shrinking? But, but let me explain what's actually going on here. What's actually dying, what's actually losing and failing in this country, isn't the movement of Jesus. It is, it is a shadow religion that is built off the name of Jesus, but has little to do with him. Do you hear me? What's actually failing, what's actually dying, is stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. It has hijacked the name of Jesus and used it for political gain, used it for other agendas, not the agenda of Jesus. And do you know why I can say that? Because if it is of human origin, Gamaliel, if it is of human origin, it'll fail. If it's failing, it's human, and maybe it needs to die. In fact, I'll be the first one to celebrate its funeral. But you see, in the meantime, do you understand what's happening on the world stage? In China, where Christianity is illegal, it is booming. In North Africa, where Christians are being killed by radical Muslim, do you know, it is, it is flourishing. Here in America, it's, it's not all one landscape. While so many churches are struggling, there is life coming through churches, including this 166-year-old church that you sit in today. No, this building is 166 years old, and none of you have been here that long, but, but you know in the history of this church, if you've been around here for a while, we've done our best to sabotage the mission, and we've had our fair, our fair share of external challenges, and yet what has happened, the, the, the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the movement of Jesus keeps going forward. Why? Because if it's of God. You can't stop it. And I just want you to know that you're not on the losing side, the wrong side of history. This isn't like you bought Betamax and now it was cool for a little while and it jumped the shark. That when you put your trust in Jesus, when you're a part of his movement, you, you put your trust in one who keeps winning century after century, millennium after millennium until the day he returns. But there's another reason that you need to know this. You need to know this so that you can relax. See, I, I think in the Christian world, for those of us who are, who are Christ followers, I think we're getting increasingly uptight because of what's happening around us. And we're getting worried and we're getting defensive and we're angry and we're worked up. 
But if it's true that the movement of Jesus has gone on from the most unlikely origins and it has it flourished over 2,000 years of external pressure and internal sabotage and it, it just keeps moving, then maybe that's a message to us that we just need to relax. You know, when life circumstances are down and we're dealing with temporary trials and setbacks. And I I know they can seem big and life can be hard. And when you're going through that, it feels like that's all there is and you're never going to get out of it. And and it can be so overwhelming. I, I think maybe you just need to remember that Jesus has faced bigger things than what you're facing right now. And he has proven that he is unstoppable. Can he prove that he's unstoppable and good in your life? I think he can. Some of you, you're so caught up in yourself today. And here's what I mean by that. You're so worked up about your failures and your sins and your struggles with substance abuse or addiction or the circumstances you find in or your broken marriage, your broken relationships or how in debt you are. And and you're so caught up in that and you're so beating yourself up about that. and, And you think your circumstances are insurmountable, like nothing can ever change. And this is the worst it's ever been. And, 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 and you feel like maybe you're even standing in the way of God's work being fulfilled in your life and through you. Relax. Because for 2,000 years, Jesus has been overcoming the worst of evils and has been bringing his love and mercy and grace into the world. Then do you really think your sin struggle, your addiction, do you really think those things, do you really think they can stand in the way of what Jesus wants to bring into you and bring through you? See, as Christians living in our world today, we get so caught up, again, in our loss of power, status, all those other things. But here's what I want to remind you of, that if we are of God, if we are doing the things of God, and we know what things are of God, we only have to look at Jesus because he is God in human flesh. So if we busy ourselves doing the things of God, we don't have to worry about the outcomes. It will be unstoppable. If we love people, because that's what Jesus did, right? He loved people, even the most unlovable people. He loved them. If we do that, we're unstoppable. If we show mercy and forgiveness to people who hurt us, especially our, our enemies, if we don't retaliate, if we don't demand revenge, if we can learn to do that, we are unstoppable. If we learn to serve people, because that's what Jesus came to do, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, we will be unstoppable. If if we just share Jesus, we invite people to meet Jesus. If we pray for people and speak a word of hope into their life when they're hopeless, we're doing the things of God. Then nothing can stop us. I think we just need to remember that today. And I'm not saying to be complacent because there's plenty of good work for us to do. What I am saying is to relax. For 2,000 years, Jesus has had that. And see, this is what makes Jesus so different from every other religion, every other God. That in every other religion, they're telling their people right now, hey, it's on you. It's about your commitment, your obedience. How willing are you to do extreme things for the sake of your faith? How willing are you to, to, to force someone to believe? How willing are you to blow yourself up so that other people, infidels, will be killed and you get your spot in heaven? How willing are you? How willing are you? What are you willing to do? What, what kind of crazy things can you commit to? Because if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. That's the message of every other religion. But for us, only for us, there is this promise that it does not depend on us. 
That if we just are of the things of God in loving and showing mercy and serving, those things are so easy if we let them be. That nothing will stop us and Jesus will take care of the success all on his own. That, That it is on him, it's not on us. That is a promise that only Jesus makes. And so that means we can relax and we can love and serve and show mercy. See, if if an enemy of Jesus can understand this 2,000 years ago, if, if he can understand this, if he can see it, if he can articulate it so clearly like we saw Gamaliel did, can you? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that whatever is of you endures and whatever is not of you fails and fizzles. And Father, as as Christianity in America undergoes a season of pruning, we invite you into our churches and into our lives to cut away the things that are of human origin. Father, bring us to an end of ourselves in all of those things. Hack out those things that that bring death and confusion and instead leave only the things remaining that are truly of you, that are of Jesus. Father, help us learn just to relax, to trust you. Help us learn the simple things that we can do to help Jesus be known. But ultimately, help us relax to know that it's not our job, it's not our responsibility, that that for 2,000 years you've kept this thing going and you keep bringing life to people through the most unlikely people. Father, use that to help us relax. As we look at ourselves, Father, as we look at our sin, as we look at our struggles, as we beat ourselves up, as as we imagine that we're standing in the way of your work going forward and we make ourselves way too big and too important, Father, just remind us that in our struggles, in our sins, in our temptations, in our failures, you are unstoppable even there. Father, help us learn today and through this series how different, how wonderful, how unstoppable Jesus is. And uh, draw us to love him and serve him more fully. We pray in his mighty name.